Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Check this out, y'all. Uh, check, check. One, two, one, two. Uh, welcome back to the Read a Book podcast. Uh, I am Sean Little, your host. Uh, you can find me across the internet at I am Sean Little. And I'm joined by uh, the potentially political uh, JB. Uh, JB, what's up, sir? What's up, my brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Um, glad to be back here with you. Uh, continuing on with uh, the the next reading portion uh, of Divided by Faith, uh, just as a reminder to the listeners, um, two things. One, you can find JB across the internet at my name is JB. Uh, so connect with him, give him some love, uh, engage with his thoughts and questions and ideas as we go through this episode. Um, and then just a reminder, we are reading uh, Divided by Faith by Michael O. Emerson and Christian Smith. Uh, evangelical religion and the problem of race in America. Uh, and maybe one of the first things that I want to sort of rehash our uh, memory on is uh, the idea of uh, the reality of race in America and then the reality of sort of the evangelical uh, church or Christian system uh, in America are sort of the in, in the crosshairs of this book. Um, so last week we talked at length um, about chapter one and the introduction. We did a kind of a real quick uh, summary of chapter two. But before we get into chapter three and four, um, we just want to spend a little bit more time uh, on chapter two, uh, which is from separate pews to separate churches, evangelical uh, racial thought and practice from 1700 to 1964. So again, we see uh, about 264 years uh, of history, and that's covered just in a matter of maybe 10 or 20 pages. So it's a huge summary, uh, which, you know, they, they sort of deal with uh, macro themes, big ideas. Um, and to me, one of the biggest ideas that sticks out, and I'm going to thumb through some things that I underlined here, um, is that there is um, sort of this undeniable reality, uh, at least in regards to um, Christians in America from 1700 to 1964 and their relationship with uh, the racialized society, race, racism. Um, there's this undeniable relationship where like the era that they're living in um, and what's happening in their culture uh, and what's happening uh, sort of in, in their society um, seems to inform their convictions. Uh, so what's one of the first things that I can say to sort of highlight that? 
um, you know, very early on, the early uh, provincial period from 1700 to the 1730s. Basically, there was this idea that if a slave was baptized um, and through baptism identified as a Christian, um, not only were they, quote, free in Christ, uh, but they were also given their actual freedom. They were given their civil freedom. Um, and that was problematic. Um, so even, you know, when, when there was still the relationship between uh, Britain, the motherland, and uh, the, the Europeans who had come to the Americas, um, slave owners or preachers went back and talked to the British government and said, look, you need to pass legislation. You need to clarify that when these slaves uh, get baptized, they still remain slaves. Um, so they don't get their freedom. Um, and that, I, I just never knew, one, uh, that when a slave got baptized, they got their uh, civil freedoms. And then two, that's just, I mean, it's just grotesque. Like if you could identify, um, you know, as a human, uh, whether you, whether it's empathy or as a Christian, uh, if you can identify, look, this, this person who we're referring to as a slave, this person has a soul. Uh, they have the capacity to, quote, be saved. Um, they are fully human. They're loved by God. And so they can partake in salvation. But at the same time, I need them to remain my slave. Uh, that just seems, like I said, grotesque. That is super ill to me. Um, what do you think about that, sir? <laughs> I'm just listening, man. And while I was reading it, yeah, um, I was just thinking, like, like I kind of we, we talked about it a little bit before about how a lot of black people now are kind of stepping away from Christianity. Right. You know, because of those reasons. But um, it's so crazy, man. Like, you know, um, even if you think about how, you know, even even then blacks were, weren't considered, uh, you know, um, like, a, like a full person. Like mm -hmm. it took... Um, it took two, two, two and a half people to be considered one. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I think I, I like the only, the only, the only option I have, you know, not being there and then me being black, is to try to think, you know, if you're a Christian and if you believe in what the Bible says, um, what could cause you to, to think, you know, um, to think this person has a soul, so we should save them and baptize, we should, we should proselytize them and baptize them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, they aren't fully human in my eyes. So, um, so they are still slaves and, you know, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And the only comparison, you know, I could have, I, the only comparison I could think of is how, you know, people are to their animals. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it might, it, you know, I, you know, I don't know how it sounds, but, um, 
But I'm just going to say it because it, it is what it is. But, you know, the way white people are with their with their dogs, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they keep them in the house and they, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like a, it's like a person. It's family. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's family. But at the same time, like, it's a dog. Right. You know? <laughs> so... Um, I kind of, it's, you know, that's the only comparison I could make, you know, but in some ways, like, they treat dogs better than they treat, they, they, you know what I'm saying, they treat, you know, people. Yeah. So I don't even know, because that's just, it don't, it it just doesn't compute. Like, I can't even wrap my my mind around it. Mm -hmm. Other than, there had to be some sort of conviction for, you know, either, either, either the people back then were, were, had you know a severe case of um um dang it i forgot i can't think, i can't think of the word um uh, uh dang it man like i can't think of a word it's not, it's not a narcissist but um it's a uh, sociopath yeah yeah so so um, either they, they had, you know, there was some severe sociopathic tendencies mm-hmm. or, or, you know, or outright, you know, um, narcissists. Sure. You know what I'm saying? And they, or, or, I mean, like, that's the only thing, only, only conclusion I could come up with sure. if this, if, you know, you're trying, I'm trying to understand, like, what makes you want to um, baptize somebody Mm -hmm. and understand what baptism means and baptize your family, baptize your kids. Right. You know, and and, 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 you know what I'm saying? So if you're baptizing your child and you know the importance of baptism and then you think, okay, this person is somebody who needs to be baptized. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, you baptize a person, mm-hmm. and then turn around and baptize another person, and not have the same, um, not have the same appreciation for their life as yeah. you do somebody else's. Right. And to me, you know, I think there's a couple of comments uh, early on, like on page uh, 22, towards uh, the bottom, white ministers and commoners alike. Uh, at least in the South and bordering states, had a deep feeling of the misery of life without enslaved blacks, uh, who often provided the hemis, uh, which often provided the hidden premise of theological and ethical statements about slavery. And I understand that. I'm not saying I agree with that, uh, but I do understand because I think it's very uh, prevalent in in our thinking as people nowadays as well. Like the bottom line is they thought their lives would be miserable without slaves. And so whatever I need to do to justify uh, the comfort of my life, uh, whether it's just in you know material possessions, whether it is in money, whether it's in uh, production, right? Getting more crops uh, planted, harvested, um, 
there was a feeling that life would be miserable without these slaves. So whatever I have to do to uh, make sure that, uh, again, that that's justified, I'm going to I'm going to do that. So I'm going to baptize my comfort um, into my theology, into my ethics, into my morality, into my worldview. And I think that we do things that are similar to that uh, nowadays as, you know, 21st century Americans. And this is not the same at all. And I'm not trying to make it a one for one comparison, but like, you know, for Americans, our the, the vast majority of all of our consumer goods are created uh, outside of this country. And when you look at fashion or when you look at technology, I mean, I'm recording this on a MacBook. I'm recording uh, or sitting next to me is my iPhone. Um, God knows where these things were made, but I've read all kinds of horrible reports about Apple and how they treat uh, essentially enslaving um, their workforce uh, outside of the United States uh, to make the largest amount of profit possible. I know that. Uh, I, I've read articles and I know that that shit's ill. Uh, but what I also think is ill is this MacBook. And what I also mm-hmm. think is ill is my iPhone. Um, and so I have essentially justified uh, my own comfort, essentially, on the backs of other human beings who are forced to work in compromised work situations, not compensated um, appropriately, uh, not cared for in the way that I would care for uh, you, one of my other friends, one of you know someone in my family. Uh, or honestly, even my dog, right? I'm sure there's plenty of people who make my clothing, uh, my furniture, whatever it is, accessories, uh, who are uh, not treated as I would see fit. Um, and I think maybe for us, because we live in a globalized world, well, it's easy because I have to look on my phone or my computer to figure out where this thing was made. I got to look on the under tag to figure out where my t-shirt was made, uh, And so there is some distance, right? Like I don't live on the plantation with them. I don't live in the same town with them. Um, So unless I want to care about that, I don't really have to care about that because it's not in front of me. Uh, But obviously, you know, there does seem to be um, a difference there uh, just because of how integrated the South was uh, between white Christians specifically uh, and uh, African slaves. Uh, like you were saying, the juxtaposition, you know what I'm saying? Saying that uh, we understand what baptism means. Uh, we understand that this human, albeit uh, an African slave, uh, we understand that he or she needs to be baptized, but we're not going to treat uh, we're not going to treat them any different or any better. And I just get that. Uh, I don't agree with it, but I understand that because I think I do something similar when I choose to consume products or support businesses that I know are mistreating people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And maybe I mean, I mean, it's, maybe it's not comparable. No, it's, it's, it's definitely comparable. I mean, I was watching a, um, I was watching like a show, a show on TV. It was like a TV show. Like I think it was snapped or something like that. You ever watched that show? Nah. It's like a it's like a crime show. So I mean, like think about like Dateline, and they tell a story about about um, you know somebody who got killed, and then they sure. tell the story, and they have like you know like you know reenactments and stuff like that, and then interviews with the people as a, as a, as it's being reenacted, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, it was about some girl got killed in some small town, um, 
city or whatever, some small town in, in somewhere, some state. And the lady, her mom was on there and she said something like, um, she said something like, uh, this isn't supposed to happen, you know, to somebody in a uh, small town, whatever their town was. Mm-hmm. And all I could think was, was, okay, who's it supposed to happen to then? Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know what I mean? But I'm sure, like, in her mind, she wasn't, you know, saying, like, you know what I mean? But but the idea is is that this is the kind of thing, things that is it's okay for some places, but not okay for this place. Right. And, you know, because I, because I grew up where I grew up and I, I've had people, I've had a lot of people die due to uh, violence um, around me. And I grew up around stuff like that, you know? So when I, whenever I hear that, I'm thinking she talking about me, you sure. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. She talking about where I'm from. And, um, and so it's kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, why is it, why is that, you know, why is life more sacred mm-hmm. for, for you, but it's not sacred for us? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Why, is, why is it okay? Um, you know, why, you know what I'm saying? That shouldn't be normal or okay for anybody. Yeah. The same, same, the same, the same, you know, uh, things that, you know, uh, we, we want protection from and the same things that, you know, uh, we don't want around our families and around our kids are the same things that you don't want around your family and your kids. There's some things you want protection from, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, you know, it kind of, it, you know, it's kind of that idea. It's like, you know, life is valuable, but our life is more valuable Mm -hmm. because we're here or our life is more sacred because, you know, that isn't something that, you know, should happen here. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, like, it's the same, you know sure. what I mean? And I think that, that brings us, I think, to a good transition in, in the, in the topic. Um, and we're still here in chapter two, but then I want to take a rabbit trail, um, because I just remembered something that came to mind when you were talking earlier. Um, but the transition I want to make, you know, I think that happens because, of uh, we live in a racialized society. And so there's hierarchy there, uh, which means that people who live in certain environments or who look certain ways get to reap certain benefits. And people who look other ways and live in other environments don't get to reap those benefits. So that doesn't happen here because we um, enjoy the benefits of the hierarchy of a racialized society, whereas all those brown bodies down in the hood, this is the shit that happens to them. And that's okay that it happens to them. That's why we moved out here in the first place to get away from yeah. all of the riffraff, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I think that is a sort of good example of really one of the main themes uh, thus far in the book, the idea about the racialized society. But um, I was talking to my wife uh, about you know the book uh, through chapter for what we've read thus far, uh, and just how grotesque uh, the treatment of uh, Africans who are human beings in America is, and just the lengths and extent to which uh, the abuse and neglect and uh, taking advantage of them, the extent to which uh, we're gone to say, oh, no, it's okay, and to, and to maintain um their enslaved bodies for economic benefit. We were talking about that. And 
you know, earlier you were talking about some people treat their dogs better uh, than other human beings or whatever. Um, and it almost seems like at this point, like, you know, in 2017, if you were to read accounts of actual slavery in Georgia, Alabama, whatever, you would say, wow, I can't, I can't imagine that. Um, and so I do think that there are sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, sins, uh, like of an era or sins of a generation, yeah. uh, where in hindsight you can look back and be like, golly, how were, how were people ever on that? Um, yeah. and I do think that, you know, this is a, this is a, this is an example. I'm not making it one for one. Uh, but my wife and I are vegan. Uh, and I think, you know, I've been a vegetarian for 10 years. She was raised a vegetarian. Uh, we've been on and off again, vegans, uh, over the years and we've been vegan, uh, all, all of this year. Um, so maybe in the last 10 years, I've been vegan like two years. Uh, but now we're really like on it and have more uh, conviction and knowledge and whatever. It is just crazy to me that there are certain animals that are protected, that are valued, that are cared about, that there's even leg legislation to protect them. And then there are just other animals that we can factory farm all day long, murder, destroy, chop up, manip uh, not, not manipulate, um, I'm missing the word there. But like there's no protection for those animals. Maybe. Mutilate, thank you. Um, there's no protection. So dogs are in there and you can get punished, Mike Vick, for, for messing with dogs. Uh, but then cows and horse and pig and sheep and goat, and it goes on and on. Uh, they can be factory farmed. You can have a cow skin rug. Can you imagine if you came in the crib and I was like, oh, you remember my dog from the last time you were over? Yeah, we just, <laughs> we killed him stripped his hide and that's that's my dog skin rug in the middle of the floor anyway my wife yeah. made the comment she was like i wonder if we'll look back uh at any point of human history we'll look back on how we consumed animals uh and think that that was like grotesque how we could say wow it's okay to protect certain animals but then to consume other animals uh and it is yeah. just odd man like you know we're vegan so we have that conviction. Uh, so we're trying to, you know, influence our daughter in that regard. Um, but it is amazing that like children, you know, our daughter is 13 months old. Children don't discriminate against people uh, or animals. Yeah. Children see living things and they're intrigued by them and they're willing to build with them and interested in them. Uh, so it is fascinating just like in the socialization process, that's where prejudice happens. That's where discrimination happens. That's where racism happens. Like you have to be taught uh, all yeah. of that stuff, which is super ill. Um, okay, so something else that I thought was uh, just crazy uh, throughout chapter two was this idea of, you know, comparing uh, the North to the South. Uh, and obviously there's a host of differences um, especially when we look through the era while slavery was still legal, kind of pre-1808 uh, and then certainly pre-1865. Uh, it's just so funny to me because no one, and I'm trying to find the uh, find the language here, uh, but basically no nobody really was 
Yeah, here we go on page 29. The early white abolitionists opposed slavery, but not racialization. Like, everybody was good with the hierarchy. Everybody mm-hmm. was good with, like, European Americans. And by, when I say everyone, I'm just talking about white folk. They were good with white people having the benefit, having the best, having protection and uh, superiority. So even when the North starting started putting pressure uh, on the South because of slavery, it's like they weren't really caring about the holistic well-being of slaves. They just weren't messing with the business of slavery. Uh, but the only reason they could be so bold about not messing with the business of slavery is because they didn't have a lot of slaves up north. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? It's like it's like me trying to shut down all the meat factories. I don't eat meat. That doesn't matter to me. So I can shut that down or I can advocate um, against it. Uh, so I do think that they really unpack that idea well uh, throughout chapter two, sort of the the beef between the North um, and the South. Uh, but the bottom line, yeah, it, go ahead. It's, it, it kind of goes along the lines of like, like the whole, like for, for your whole life, you're taught that Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves and yes. like, you know, you know what I mean? Like yes. he was this guy who, you know what I mean? Like that, none of that is true. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a strategic war move. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. If he could have kept slaves and won the war, he would have done that. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, but yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, there was that comment in there that a month before Lincoln died, he was uh, having his administration uh, calculate the cost of sending all of the Africans out of the country. Um, yeah. So this idea that he was like, you know, y'all stay, y'all build. We want equality for you. We want opportunity for you. We want you to have your freedom and, you know, the opportunity to sort of be industrious and to create a life for yourself. That's not the case. That's not what yeah. it is. Um, which is, you know, super fa- fascinating. Um, they go on, you know, to sort of talk about the, and I, I do think that this uh, is, this can be true of any era, the complexity of thinking about racialized uh, America. Um, and I think that's important, you know, even for, for, for me to think about, for you to think about, for our listeners to think about, um, and not not limited to... Uh, the things of faith or Christianity. Uh, I just think that like increasingly uh, we need to be sensitive to and aware of um, racialization and how America is racialized. Here's a great example, and I'm glad that I remember this. Uh, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, My wife and I just moved back uh, from Hawaii Uh, So we were sort of making our way from New York uh, back to Indiana, where we'll be for a bit. And we were in Cincinnati. Uh, And I was at a, for my my Cincinnati heads, y'all will know where this is. Uh, But I was at Deeper Roots Coffee uh, in Oakley. And I was just getting a cup of coffee. We were about to go on a drive. And I reached over, and I'm trying to think of the name of the magazine. And JB, you might have this in OKC, but it's called like The City Scout. Or something like that. It's like a real nice hipster kind of looking magazine, real quality. I think they said something like there are 30 cities where they publish these magazines, uh, but they're just highlighting 
independent business in each city. So real nice magazine, real quality stock paper, whatever, beautiful photos and it's free and okay, super dope. So I, I was just intrigued by it because it was beautiful. So I picked it up, I was looking at it while my cup of coffee was being made. Uh, and as I'm flipping through it, I didn't see any people of color. It was all yeah. white people. Uh, and then towards the end of the magazine, there was a there were two pages uh, with all of these people of color. Uh, and I thought it was a photography advertisement just because it was beautiful pictures. Um, and then there was one more advertisement sort of at the end of the uh, end of the magazine. There was this black guy and he was just in an advertisement. Um, and I was like, this is crazy, man. Like, And so I took it out to my wife and I showed it to her and we were talking about it. And then she went back to that double page uh, advertisement that I thought was a photography advertisement. And it was like yeah. a public housing advertisement. <laughs> so the, the, the primary picture uh, of people of color in this real swanky magazine, which is supposed to inform and tell people what the city has to offer, who the city is, what the city is about, is all white people. Uh, they're all young-ish. They're all pretty. They're business owners. And then the, there's two places where people of color are in the magazine. One is for like government housing uh, and the other was just some random advertisement. And like, that is outrageous to me. That is a complete outrage. And maybe it's just because, you know, like I'm a I'm an 80s baby and I grew up in a uh, Cincinnati that was very racially divided. Um, so you couldn't get away from the fact that there was a black-white problem in Cincinnati. Uh, but Cincinnati was... There was a black component to Cincinnati. Um, and obviously because of gentrification and over the Rhine, they've been displaced to Avondale. Um, that community has. Uh, and so it does feel like maybe it's just the, the whiting out of that entire community. And since I'm not in Cincinnati anymore, maybe I just don't understand what it is. Uh, but that was just so crazy to me because it's like everyone wants the same thing. Everyone wants to be successful and to be healthy, to have ownership and autonomy and options, whether that's of their career, their health, their life. Uh, and what this magazine has to say in 2017, even if it's unintentional and subconscious, is that white people have power, white people have wealth, white people own, own businesses, they make decisions, they make things happen, and black people live in public housing. Yeah. And to think that like messaging like that doesn't have an influence on people um, is not fair. It's unreasonable to think that uh, that kind of messaging doesn't, you know, affect people's worldviews. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of a. Uh of a magazine here that we have as far as like we don't have that one that you're talking about but we have one um here and you know it's kind of the same thing it's like what's happening in this in the city like you know um the urban core of okc you know what i mean like mm -hmm. what's popping the party spots the clubs all that right and so they put out this um 
they put out like an I don't know if it was like an anniversary or something like that, but it, it had you open it up and it had like like all their covers for like the past like two years or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Maybe more because it was about forty something covers, and um and on all those covers they had two black people out of forty out of forty some covers, yeah. two black people. One was Serge Ibaka, and the other one was, was Tabo Sefalosha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they both played for the Thunder. You know what crazy. I mean? It's crazy. And it was like, and it's like, you know, it just, it just kind of like, you know, gives the impression that the, either the only black people that we have here are Thunder players, or the only ones that are worth you know, um, talking about our Thunder players, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, and I, I, I end up saying something about it, like on social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is, is that uh, I walked in on the dude, the, the guy who runs the magazine having a meeting um, uh, one time, and I, I'm pretty sure he knew who I was. Huh. But it was it was just, you know, mad awkward. But, but man, like, I I think that, you know, like, the, the the crazy thing is is that the people I, I guarantee you not and, and I promise you the people that make that magazine that you're talking about and make the one that I'm talking about probably don't even realize it mm. don't even know you know what I mean like don't even think about oh wait you know what I'm saying mm. it's not, it's not even a it's not even a um, it's, they don't think that they're, they it's not something that you know that is on their radar to, to where it could be like, man, is this wrong? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like sure. it's probably, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't even see it as a racial issue. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know, man. It's Yeah. And you know, I, so maybe increased uh, awareness to racialization um, is just something that I want to advocate uh, not that it is, I don't know, man, like I, for, for, for people who uh, haven't practiced that or this is new um, information or you're finding it insightful, like I don't want you to feel uh, discouraged or, you know, like it's bad on you or whatever. Uh, but to begin to practice that, uh, I think is just, you know, incredibly value, but also valuable, but also just incredibly uh, important. Because it all means something like, you know, I think we get similar messaging, uh, not only along the lines of race, but certainly along the lines of uh, sexuality, uh, gender, uh, the role and place of um, a woman uh, in society, even though I do think sure there likely been some feminist uh, progress made in society. Uh, but we just have to be conscious, you know, that, and that's that fourth district thing, creating a conscious culture. Uh, we have to be conscious even about messaging along the lines of uh, race, gender, ethnicity. Uh, and, and I think to go back maybe full circle to something we've been talking about, um, you know, my conviction is that all human beings were made in the image of God, uh, equally valuable, equally capable, um, and equally important. Uh, and to that extent, like, 
there's not a more valuable, more worthwhile uh, group of people and a less uh, worthwhile group of people, um, even if society says so, even if the media says so. Uh, and the more that we listen to that stuff unconsciously, uh, the more divided we become. Uh, and I think in that division, we can be con- controlled uh, and steered and pushed uh, in ways that you know benefit a certain group of people and, and, and do harm to uh, another group of people. Um, okay, so again, chapter two, there's, there's 264 years uh, of time that are covered uh, basically from early on in the advent of slaves arriving uh, in uh, the colonies and the necessity of slaves in the Americas um, is to build a country, to build an economy uh, and to uh, gain wealth quickly. Uh, Over time, it seems that uh, that need sort of dissipates because on the back of slaves, uh, a country and industry and wealth is built. Um, and then in time, and I thought that this was fascinating as well, as what will become America uh, prepares to uh, fight Britain in the Revolutionary War, they use language that says we need to uh, throw off the enslavement of Britain. We are their slaves. And so trying to excite um, the whole entire uh, popula- population, uh, we're talking about being slaves to Britain, and that's not a good thing, and it's worth fighting mm-hmm. uh, and rebelling and having a war. Uh, but meanwhile, we have slaves. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. We are enslaving, you know, uh, millions of people, four million people by the time um, slavery is abolished. And so that was fascinating to me as well, that it's not necessarily out of like empathy or sobriety or saying this is morally wrong. This is sinful. This is ill. But it's like, oh, I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. I can't fight against the motherland. I can't fight against Britain saying, I'm not willing to be your slave anymore if we're also enslaving people. Um, And I just thought that was sort of a fascinating, you know, rhetorical element that potentially part of the reason that uh, there was a push for the abolishment of slavery was two things. One, the need just wasn't as high anymore because hundreds of years of slaves had already built a country, built an economy, built industry. uh, So just the practical need wasn't as great. But then also, uh, I'm trying to fight a war. I'm trying to garner support. I'm using this language of slavery. uh, And all the while, I'm enslaving people. And that doesn't help my bottom line. So since I don't really need these slaves that much anymore because I've already used them and because I want to benefit from not having to pay all of this taxation to Britain, I'm willing to finally sort of let these slaves go. But it's not really because I care about them or think that it's wrong. It's just because... I want something else, and it's it's a necessary evil. Letting these slaves go is a necessary evil, uh, which I just think, again, like that seems very human. That seems very logical. It seems very practical. Uh, so I understand that, and I wonder if you know people who are reading with us uh, had ever thought about that before. And that's probably a good time to plug again for those of you guys who are rocking with us. Uh, you can add your comments, questions, thoughts. Uh, at 4th District. Um, And then we also have a phone number. 
where you can call us and leave you know voicemails as you're think- thinking through things. Uh, the phone number is 470-722-0782. So we would love to hear from y'all um, as we continue to read a book. Uh, one more thing uh, from chapter two, JB, before we move on, unless you have anything else. And again, there's so much here. That's why we want y'all to engage because we can't cover all of it. Uh, there's one uh, paragraph here on uh, page 40. And I wrote in the, in the margins, is this the 1800s or the 2000s? Uh, what problems there were, most white Christians argued, rested largely with African Americans themselves. They did not yet know how to live as a free people and had to be trained in the way that they should go. They were largely poor and lacking education. Of special concern was their perceived lack of positive work habits and cleanliness and their proclivity for crime and desire for interracial sexual relations. What the blacks needed was first to become Christians and then proper instruction and self-discipline, moral control and character building that came with being a Christian. If whites needed support for their views, the most influential African-American of the time, Booker T. Washington could be cited, and he often was. And then they kind of go on to sort of beat up, you know, Brother Booker, which I, I, I probably agree with a lot of what the authors are criticizing him for. Uh, but that just reminded me so much of the language that I hear on race from the white population at large, certainly white Christians, that if there is a problem... It has nothing to do with the system. It has nothing to do with historical realities. It all rests on the African-American themselves. Christianity should be able to help them, but really they're just lazy. They're dirty. They always want to get into trouble and they always want to sleep around. Um, And I feel like that message about black people is still very prevalent in 2017. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I guess, I I mean, just for me, you know, like, if I look, if I, if I think back, especially for me, like going to church and, um, and, um, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. No, no, no. The messaging about black people may be from church, from Christianity. Yeah, so, um, I mean, there there really is no, I guess the way way I look at it is like that the Christianity for for like black people is is still, it's not new, but it's not as old as it is for, uh, you know, white, see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, there's a lot, there's still a lot of, um, there's still a lot of, a lot that has been left, that's there, that are that's still there that, uh, especially for, for black people that, um, trying to figure out the best way to put it. Sure. Um, I don't know. There's so, for instance, my think about it like this. So, for for let's say, 
um, black churches, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there is a, there is a, um, not a stereotype, but I mean, like, there's a stereotypical, I guess, black church, like sure. a stereotypical white church, but um, you know, for black people, men that that are that that really are affirming their faith that, you know what I'm saying, that, um, I mean, it goes back generation to generation, you know, my grandma went to church, my grandma, you know what I'm saying? Right. And, and so I just, I, so I guess what I'm saying is, is like, yeah, so because of that, because of that, it, it, it is still there in 2017, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there's the the past echoes in the present, right? Because- Man, you got them words. It, the past echoes. I, I like that. You got the words, yeah. bro. <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying? Like we stand on the shoulders of giants or whatever. Like uh what's yeah. that Jay Z line? Like and just standing on the shoulders of a giant, standing on the shoulders of I am I don't remember that. Yeah. It's probably it's been a long time, but that's people, right? Like we don't just show up here uh independent mm-hmm. of our past, independent of our history. So we're all influenced in all kind of ways and you know, the past, the past echoes. Um, okay. Before we get moving to chapter three, uh, I think I would want to summarize chapter two again. And I think I might've said this last week, uh, show Baraka has a line that a man won't stop it if it increases his profit. Um, and so from the beginning of slavery, uh, in America, even to the ending of slavery in America, I think that there are a couple important things to say. One, look at the money follow the money um, because the money tells a lot of the story and trying to understand something as heinous uh, as the slave trade and the the practice of slavery in America uh, separate from from money I think it's hard to understand but uh, as we look across our own sort of landscape uh, and we see how people treat one another and the wars that we're involved in, uh, if you look at the money that's associated with it, that explains a lot. It doesn't make it make sense. It doesn't justify it. Uh, but I do think money can also help us to understand why people are willing to lie to themselves and justify things that are obviously wrong um, because people were making bread off of it. Uh, and at... That's the admit, like... I, I mean, like that's the that is that's the essence of it all, man. Yes. Like church, slavery, everything, bro. It's so crazy. Like you know, that's the you know that's the essence of it all. If it's you know, what I mean, like before even before you even um, even start anything, the first the first question you ask is like how how. Can you make any money off of it? Will you right. lose money? What's what's it gonna cost? Yeah, yeah. And um, and I just think you know, I just think that um, you know that's that's the scary part, man. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's the scary part. You know, um, is that as long as, you know what I mean? Like people will try to find so many ways to justify. Some ways to justify whatever you know, oh. what I'm saying, as if, if it makes some money. Yeah, my wife and I had watched a, a documentary on Netflix. I forget what it's called. Maybe Fast Fashion or something about that. Um, and they were just doing sort of a behind the scenes look at 
uh, you know, fast fashion. So like there used to be four seasons uh, in fashion at all, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Uh, and now you've got, you know, places like H&M, Forever 21, probably Old Navy's in there, uh, and a host of other stores, retailers, and there are 52 seasons of fashion at these places. There's a new season every single week. Um, and like, you know, I guess a lot could be said about that, but the bottom line is there's a whole machine that is required to make that happen. Uh, people have to make all of those clothes. And how does H&M sell things for $3.99 and still make all kind of money? How does Forever 21 sell one night outfits for $18 and still make money? It's because the production of those clothes has been so exported to like the absolute margins of society uh, that people are essentially slaves to these corporations for us to consume cheap goods. Um, and so there's a host of atrocities that are like covered in this documentary, like, you know, the facility, one, one clothing manufacturing facility uh, collapsed. It was like a six, seven story uh, facility, maybe in Indonesia, and it just fell into itself, killed probably thousands of people. Um, and so my wife and I had already been like, you know, trying to minimize and uh, try to be simple, try not to consume so much. Uh, but that was definitely, you know, influential in regards to how we think about and treat uh, clothing. The point is we told a friend of ours, and I wonder if this friend of ours is listening and I'm gonna get a text message or a phone call, yeah. but she is in fashion. That's kind of, she's in that business. Uh, and we were trying to tell her some of this stuff. And she just said like, I know all of that, but their life is miserable, not mine. And yeah. I was like, golly, dude. Like, and I think, you know, like, I'm not trying to be too bad on her. Like, cause I think we're all guilty of it. You know what I'm saying? She might've just said something that was sort of uh, maybe rapid fire. You know what I'm saying? Like she didn't really understand what she was saying or the extent of it or whatever, but that stuff is still popping nowadays. You know what I'm saying? It's a whole yeah. lot of people whose lives are miserable right now so that, I don't know, I can have the, the material comforts um, that I have. Super ill. Scary, man. Okay, uh, cut. That's the end of chapter two. Now we're moving on into this week's uh, reading, which was chapter three uh, and chapter four. Uh, and again, uh, you can rock with us at Fourth District, uh, at my name is JB, at I am Sean Little. Uh, and we would love to hear your questions, uh, your comments about the things that we're reading, your thinking, even if you're listening to JB and I on these podcasts uh, and there's something that comes to mind, uh, call us and leave us a voicemail at 470-722-0782. So we come out of chapter two, we arrive into chapter three, becoming active, contemporary involvement in the American dilemma. And again, the American dilemma uh, is this idea of the racialized society. And so now we've gotten some of the history uh, of race, racism, uh, the, and the creation uh, of the racialized society in America. Uh, and now we're looking at sort of where the, maybe where the there's a, there's a turn in the road or a fork in the road uh, here in the present day. 
Um, so immediately, JB, I just want to pass it to you. Anything from chapter three uh, that sticks out that you want to you want to get at here? Um, I'm trying to see what I highlighted. Sure. Well, uh, on page 54, mm-hmm. I underline says that reconciliation was in Samuel Harris terms, God's one uh, item agenda. Mm. Um, what to, what you, what is this reconciliation? And um, it says reconciliation, as they proclaim repeatedly, is the message of Christianity. And um, the reason I underline it is because, like, um, I feel like it's crazy how um, racial racial reconciliation you know, needs to be a, the agenda of God. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, like you would think like death, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Would be, I mean, you would think like, um, you know, diseases and stuff like that, you know, would be on the agenda. And um, I think the reason why I underline that is just because, you know, I just feel like we're so behind as as people, as humans, we're so behind as Christians, we're, we're so behind, you know, if, you know, we're, we're 2017, you know, um, thousands of years, thousands of years after Christ, and, you know, we haven't even conquered um, racial reconciliation, bro. Sure. You know? Yeah, and you know, like, this idea that reconciliation uh, is the agenda of God, the one item agenda that, you know, the next paragraph there, uh, the message of Christianity, the gospel story is about reconciling people to God and to other people. Um, You know, just a couple of months ago, I was pastoring in a church and I pastored in this church for about three years. Um, And towards the end of my time there, I think this idea uh, came to mind and I'm kind of on this now like I'll be talking to people about this a lot now and trying to write about it and think about it the story of Christianity I think of God reconciling people to himself in the work of the Messiah Yeshua Jesus uh, I think that has just been um, confined to like God wants to reconcile you to himself period. That's it. It's just about God and man. Uh, But I don't think that that's true. I think that God does want to reconcile us to him. uh, But that has like implications. That means God also wants to reconcile me to you, right? People Mm -hmm. out other people. So there's this like vertical thing going on where God wants to reconcile me to him. But then he also wants to reconcile me to other people. And he also wants to reconcile me to myself. Uh, But it's a lot easier for people to like be reconciled to God who isn't here and isn't physically present uh, and can't walk into the room uh, than it is for me to work through all of the hard, complicated brokenness that exists between me and my fellow man. And specifically as a white man, what exists between me and my fellow black man. You know what I'm saying? That's hard work. That's challenging. That can be frustrating. That can be difficult. Um, So I think that's why people want to say, oh, Christianity is just about 
people and God. But that's not the case because if God doesn't affect your relationship with other people, and if God doesn't mm-hmm. affect your relationship with your own self, like what kind of God is that? What kind of God is going to leave you in a mess with all of your neighbors and with yourself? That just doesn't make any sense to me. But I think people ain't touching it because they're uncomfortable with it. Uh, they don't know how to do it. They haven't seen pictures of it. They haven't seen an example of it. Um, and, and again, I think that's primarily because we live in a racialized society. I pick up that magazine and I see all white people as the owners of businesses. And yeah. the black people are the ones who live in the projects. That's it. And then as a, as a Christian, if I'm not thinking uh, about that, I can just leave that there because that's the normal message of America. This racialized uh, society is super ill, man. Let me see what I got here after your comments there on page 54. Um, I thought that this was fascinating here on 55, uh, the first paragraph that starts the second major step. Um, Two portions here. The sin of indifference is noted by many of these early advocates of racial reconciliation to sit on the sidelines while unequal and oppressive forces harm part of the Christian community is a grievous wrong, right? So like, I don't, you know, I might not, I think that the mistreatment of people of color uh, is wrong in America, but if I say something, my white buddies might have a problem with that. If I start talking very practical um, ways that we can affect that, then they might be mad at me. So even though I think it's wrong, I'm going to keep my opinion to myself. Uh, And then that paragraph concludes, white people can't free themselves of their guilt, fears, and prejudices. Black people can't free themselves of the oppression and injustices. Racial divisions are robbing both sides. And I just think that that's powerful, man. Yeah. Uh, do you think, you know, from from your side, do you think that either of those are true, that white people uh, have guilt, fear, and prejudice, and or uh, that black people experience oppression and injustice? One more time. Uh, that how that concludes this this thought that uh, white people that, deal that, with yeah guilt fear and prejudice. Uh, white people can't free themselves. Do I think that they do? Yeah, like in your experience of white people, do white people have guilt fear and prejudice in regards to black folk? Um, I think they have fears and prejudice. Um, I, I don't. I I don't think that. I don't I, like I haven't come across many people who feel guilty, you know. Mm. I think that, you know, the um you know, the notion is, is that, you know, I never I've never done anything wrong with anybody black. I'm never on the slate. I never I've never um discriminated against anybody. I've never done this. I've never right. done that. You know what I'm saying? Um so I don't think I you know, like the, I don't think the concept of guilt um is there i think that the there's knowledge of the past um you know but and i i i don't you know like it's hard to to make somebody understand you know uh 
you know, their fault when they don't see any fault in not, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just, okay. So for instance, if one black person does something or, you know, or like, okay, like one, one, uh, you know, one black kid, um, you know, robs a store, right? Then all black people, people are people are thieves and thugs. You know, right. we gotta live with that. That's just how it is. If you know one white person, you know, shoots up, you know, a movie theater, that's just one white person. Right. So idea is is like, you know, there one one white person having guilt because of what white people have done and have continued to do is I don't you know like there's I mean I haven't I it, I don't I don't think I've ever seen it you know but um so it's hard to say that they have guilt because they don't they don't have there's no they don't feel white people don't or at least I don't think they do like you know I could be wrong I don't I don't you know what I'm saying I hate to say all this you know what I'm saying or you know what I'm saying all that sure but but I guess what I'm trying to say is that from what I've seen, there hasn't been any guilt because they don't consider the um, themselves in the inclusion of what white people have done to black people throughout sure. the years. Yeah. Uh, that fear piece, white people can't free themselves of their guilt, fears, and prejudices. Uh, the first thing that came to mind when I read that fear was uh, fear of a black planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I, you know, that's so that's a, a public enemy reference. And I think really that's what Kendrick was on with the cover um, of To Pimp a, but- to, to Pimp a Butterfly. Uh, I do think that that is, you know, for lack of a better word, I think that's a thing. I think there, and you know, we read this in chapter two, like uh, there was concern for uh, abolishing slavery in the South because there was so many black people in the South that like, if we don't keep order, if we don't keep people in check and fearful and in pain, like things could switch up down here real quick. Uh, And if we had a drink, you know, in return, sort of the the drink of pain and suffering that we've poured out on these people, it wouldn't be good. So there's a lot of fear, uh, I think, uh, historically um, associated with black folks and revenge uh, from the injustice that they've experienced. Uh, But I do think that that, again, and it might be kind of subconscious, uh, but I I do think that white people still deal with that. Yeah, I think that the fear of a black planet is what helped to get Trump elected. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, you know, that, you know, like, that, that, that's what, you know what I mean? Like, that, that was his platform. You know what I mean? Um, So, yeah, there's, that's definitely there. The prejudices are definitely there. Yeah. And I just, you know, on that note, I do think that, that sort of our life is going to be such a fascinating um, time to live in because white people will become the minority uh, in America since the beginning of America. 
something like as soon as 2020, uh, white people may be the minority. And I think that's been pushed out to 2040 now. Um, but that is going to mean all kind of things. That's going to mean change in uh, representation and change in power structures and change in who has access and who leads organizations and systems and all of that. Um, and I think that, like you were saying, I think in part a Donald Trump gets in office because he's very white centric. And I think he's appealing to this sense and this notion that like, Things are changing um, and we better make America great again while we have the chance to uh, because, you know, there's, again, fear in the mix. Um, another comment from chapter three, and I just love your thoughts on this. Here on page 60 in the middle of the first paragraph, uh, I just underlined this quick little phrase. Christians must become skilled at the art of reconciliation and committed to excelling in this skill. Uh, so certainly, you know, what does that mean for race and the racialized society? Uh, but what are your thoughts on that? The Christian must Christians must become skilled at the art of reconciliation. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. Um, um, you know, committed to excelling in that skill. I definitely agree. Um, just because, or, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They're, they're, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think, I mean, outside of, you know, I wish it was like, I, I wish that the problem was more complicated than I actually think that it is. Uh, but in the same way that like culture and society and money, uh, I think is at the heart of slavery and the slave trade. I think a lot of those elements are still at the heart of specifically within Christianity, uh, why there's not more um, reconciliation. Why there's not, you know, like from the jump, we talked about, you know, the black church and the white church. I think that Christians are so informed by our culture and by our society and, and therefore not informed by the gospel, right? This idea that God is reconciling all people to himself. And because I'm more informed by the news or Twitter or Facebook or whatever than I am actually by the gospel. I live out something that's contradictory to the the, the message that I believe in, which God is reconciling, um, which is, I mean, it's a monster. I think it explains a lot of why we are where we are uh, as a country, even, you know, 2017. Like you would think that with all this time, progress would have been made, but... That seems to be lacking. Um, I think, you know, the sort of the final sentiment in chapter three uh, is this idea that there was a push uh, in sort of the mid-century uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, after the civil rights movement, uh, got very popular in sort of formal Christianity 
to talk about race, racial reconciliation. Um, but at the end of the day, not much has changed. The problem yeah. hasn't really been solved. So even though it sort of got popular to talk about or write about uh, or include uh, in you know your crusades or your meetings or whatever, uh, the racialized society is still in place because I think at a bottom line level, uh, the cost and I would say specifically for white people, uh, the cost is too high. Uh, I need to take my power and my privilege and my systematic benefits. Uh, and I've, if I'm really concerned about uh, the equality and treatment of people of color, then I need to leverage some of that uh, in practical ways for people mm -hmm. of color. Uh, and then I also need to call you know, my white brothers and sisters to considering their own power, their own privilege, their own systematic benefit. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be a while before they even believe that. Uh, but then it's going to be a much longer time before they do anything about it. Um, and just because of that unwillingness or maybe the selfishness that's there, or even before that, the fact that a lot of white people don't, don't buy into any of this. They don't believe uh, that our history has anything to do with our present. And therefore, like if old boy would just work harder and, you know, not sleep around and not do drugs or get involved in crime, then he would be fine. Uh, I think that is really the sentiment of a lot of white America individualism, right? And that's a theme that we've uh, listened to and, and read through this whole entire book thus far, uh, but not seeing the system and placing all of the emphasis on uh, the individual. So that's fascinating. Uh, chapter four, which is the conclusion, and JB said you were interested in uh, talking through some of these interviews that they accounted for. Uh, but chapter four, entitled Colorblind Evangelicals Speak on the Race Problem, uh, this is where, you know, sort of from the premise of the book, they uh, gathered a lot of this, the authors gathered a lot of this commentary, um, doing a phone interview with more than 2,000 people, and then doing one-on-one -on -one interviews uh, with hundreds of people. So we begin to get into some of the specific interviews and pick up some themes uh, from what people are actually saying when they get to talking about uh, the problem of race and the racialized society in America. Uh, and specifically, the people that we're looking at primarily here are uh, white evangelicals, uh, white people who identify with evangelical Christianity. Um, so, JB, pick out something from one of these interviews uh, that you thought was interesting. All right. Um, let's see. The on, on page 70, uh, Debbie. Oh, Debbie. The only race problem Debbie sees is the one of misinterpretation. In the normal course of interpersonal communication, conflicts arise. Uh, so when this occurs between individuals of different races, it is incorrectly assumed to be a race issue. Mm. Uh I mean, it's, you know, the, the, like I was just reading that, you know, it's just scary. There's like thousands and thousands and thousands of Debbies 
out there, you know, and shout out to all the Debbies. <laughs> and um you know, it's it's so and like it's so easy for somebody who doesn't have to deal with any of that stuff to see or to not see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um you know, you 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 can I don't know, but it's you can you can say uh, racist things. You can make racist decisions, um, um, and they still be racist. You know, um, I mean, you can make a non you can say a non racist thing and make a non racist decision, and it still be racist. Um, you know, um, depending on the situation, you know what I'm saying? Depending on, you know, the the atmosphere, depending on the ecosystem, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know. Yeah, Halloween, right? It's, it's part of white privilege, you know what yeah. I'm saying? To be that way, to be that naive, to not see it, to like, man, damn, I don't know. <laughs> what were you saying? It just reminds me of, and we see this like every Halloween, right? That uh, white people um, will, in some way, shape, or form, uh, personify blackness whether that's black face or some mediated image of the black man. Uh, and they might just be having fun, thinking it's a good time with their white friends to dress up like Tupac or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But like that is deeper than the humor uh, that you find in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh but again, you know, they're on page 71 and I don't want to miss a comment here in the middle of page 70, but, uh, this idea on 71 in the first paragraph that race is compartmentalized and that race is not a focal point in their day-to-day lived experience. Uh, so if race is just a little box on my shelf as a white person, and if it's not something that I ever need to deal with on a day-to-day basis, like I got to wake up to it like a past due bill, you know what I'm saying? If it's yeah. not that real to me, uh, then it does not exist. Uh, and so I can be flippant or careless or haphazard and put on blackface and like in Evansville, which is, you know, the city that we just moved away from, I I mean, I can't even explain this, but more white people use the N word in Evansville, like A, not E-R, than I've ever heard in my life. And maybe it's because I'm connected to like a bunch of young boys or whatever, but like white, white boys that are friends with black guys, use the n-word and i'm like 
I would have got punched in the mouth if I said that. Like, how is that so yeah, common? Like, how is that so common? Is that popping in OKC? Uh, nah, not I mean like not around black people really. Yes. Uh, not that I've seen. Um, cause you know, I've had to put my hands on a few people. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. just because you know, I, I mean, I, I just. Man, you know it's crazy. I'm, I'm having that that discussion in my hip hop class tomorrow about the N word and, and hip hop music and stuff. But part of it is, you know, like this, like I said, it's that privilege, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there was a there was a um, a Christian college here, and I think it was last year. The kid, one, this kid, wanted to take this girl to like a dance or something. This is at a at a Christian college, mm-hmm. and so I guess he heard the girl like black dudes, or she was dating a black dude or whatever. And this fool put on like painted his face black and wrote a sign since since you know now will you take now will you date me or something like that. And Golly. you know, man, bro, you know what I'm saying like, but you know it. The argument is, is like, oh, it's just for fun, or he didn't know, or yeah, you know what I'm saying. My thing is, like, you can't, you don't get to decide if I'm offended or not. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You don't, get to, you don't get to decide for me. You know what's what what you know makes me feel a certain way. You know what I mean? And the fact that you know, whenever you're confronted about your ignorance, you get to play the nice card or the ignorant card or the, you know what I'm saying? Or the I didn't know card or whatever sure. is, is your privilege. You know what I'm saying? Because on the other side, I'm held account. We got to be held accountable for anything that we say and do. Right. And we don't, I don't, I don't have those cards to play. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And so the same is true for the N word. It's like, you know, if I say, if you say the N word and I say, hey, use a different word, and simple, simply as that, I'm not mad, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? But, um, and then you try to argue the right to say it or right. argue why why I should be okay with it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, no, like your white privilege tells you that, you know, your entire life, you know, that's how it works. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can look, you can like and go go to their house. You know what I'm saying? Like if if their mama says, you know, why come your room ain't clean? You got an explanation for why it ain't clean. When right. I grew up, why my room wasn't clean, I don't get to explain why it ain't clean. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, and it just it's it, it's just crazy to me that um that that still exists and that that you know in 2017 people haven't figured out that blackface ain't okay is isn't okay you know what i mean it's yeah, like yeah. that and and why why i get offended by it is you know that's there are way bigger issues why aren't you worrying about black on black crime in the community and stuff right. like that it's like it's like come on man are you yeah. serious right now like so just and this is a rabbit trail you've had white people use that word like towards you just in casual conversation hell yeah hell yeah i'm like 
You know, and like I said, man, like I'll, this is what I do. I say, hey, homie, use a different word. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't, like, I don't know where you came from or where you, who you used to being around, but I don't play that. You know, uh, and sometimes it, it does get uncomfortable, but I gotta make it uncomfortable for you. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And you know, the, either the response is my bad, okay, I use a different word, or they try to, you know what I'm saying, like figure out a way to make me okay with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, that's whenever, you know, you know I, I kind of get it. I, that's when I, I get pissed, you know. There was an incident, the last, like, the last time I ever remember, like, somebody, you know, like, me getting into it with a person about the N-word was, it wasn't the dude that was saying it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm at this, I'm at this party or, like, an event or something like that, and the white dude thought it was okay. He thought, you know, because, you know, uh, he was cool with me, he can walk up to me and say it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I said, what's hey. up, my... Yeah, I, th- I think it was something like that. You know, we were just talking. And I said, hey, bro, use a different word. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't do that, you know. And he was like, um, you know, man, you know, I'm, I don't even mean it like that. I don't even mean it like that. I go, it's cool. Like, I'm not, I'm not tripping with you. But you know, I don't like I don't I don't like that. Right. And so instead of you know what I'm saying, he was like, okay, dropping it. But his homie was like, was like he could say whatever he wants to say. And I said, I said, but he won't say that around me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, not why. You know what I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna stand here and be okay with him saying that to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and. Um, and so he was like, nah, so dude was like, nah, it's cool, it's cool. But in his home was like, nah, you can say whatever you want to say. Man. And I said, okay, say it again. You know what I'm saying? Like, like for real, like, say it again. And the, uh, the, the dude who didn't even say it, who was like, he can say whatever he wants to say, mm-hmm. said it. And he was saying, and, um, you know, I mean, I just slapped him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I, I mean, like, I just slapped the hell out of him. You know, and you know they, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I got, I don't think I got put out of the party, but, huh. uh, but it was, you know, what I'm saying it's just like an, a, an, it's when, whenever you go out of your way for something like that, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, you, yeah, like yeah. at that point, you're going out of your way to make a point and to be disrespectful. Right. So. Uh, so you know, I can I can definitely meet you there. You know what I'm saying? Golly, that's just crazy to me, man. And like you were saying, maybe it's maybe it's because of where I grew up. Maybe it's because of when I grew up. But like, that is not the word to play. And the fact that like, you know, people play. That's just crazy. Okay, that was a rabbit trail. Thanks for rocking with us. Let's pull it back here to the text. Um, and maybe this would just be a comment from me, JB. You don't necessarily have to weigh in on this. But there in the middle of page 70, uh, Mary had this comment. Uh, and she said, well, when is there a basic white month? Mary asks, I when see, is yeah. there a white month? Uh, and, you know, I, I've honestly, I have friends and family that have talked to me about this same idea that every February rolls around and it's Black History Month and that is racist or that's reverse racist because we don't have a white history month. Um, 
or like I know other people like you know like all black women's groups or all black parties or whatever and uh and maybe they're not necessarily built that way but that's how they end up shaking out like it was you know specifically in the context that i'm just coming out of it's like an environment for minorities to be able to be together and build together and i've known white people to like catch feelings about that and feel like reverse discrimination about that i think they she said you know like the million man march was for separation yeah (laughs) yes uh but that's what i was thinking when i picked that magazine up like you don't need a white month because every day in the history of America is white day, bro. Like, and I'm not trying to be like liberal or trigger people or bug people out. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. But the inarguable facts of the history of America is that this country was built by white men who owned people uh, and owned land and it was built for white men who own people and own land, which is why the struggle of women and the struggle of minorities to get equality in this country is a historical fact because it wasn't built for them. And that doesn't mean that the the founders of America didn't have women in their lives who they loved or didn't even have uh, people of color in their lives that they love, but it just wasn't I built mean, for them. I mean, think about it like this. Even the first um, women's rights movement wasn't even for for black women. You know right. what I'm saying? Yes. It was for it was for white women. You know, um, you know, uh, somebody was talking to me like, you know, I told you about the whole mayor thing or whatever. Yeah. And they were talking about how black people don't vote, and you know what I'm saying. This, this, and that. And it's like, it's like you, like you think about it. We weren't allowed to vote for so many years. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are right. you talking about? You know right. what I'm saying? Like, you know, um, like I don't. And it's like, it's like, you know, for if somebody, for somebody, like that's what that goes back to, like. You can you can you can um, make a non-racist statement or a non-racist decision, and it still be racist depending on the ecosystem. You know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, to say to say what she said is a racist statement. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like to 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 that idea is a racist idea. You know what I mean? And it's it's it. You know it's. To, you know, for some or to say, man, I don't even see color. Like, that's a racist statement, bro. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, like that's just a way to try to like get out of being racist whenever you know, like, sure. I mean, like that whole like that whole paragraph about her, you know, uh, um, you know, you could just tell that. Uh, it reminds me. It, I mean, you could just tell. It just reminds me of the um, of the Trump campaign, bro. Mm. <laughs> it's like uh, let's see, let's see. Oh, this is Black Heritage Month. This is uh, Asian Awareness, and this is well. When is there a basic White Month? You know what I'm saying? Like that's you know what I mean. Like the entire the entire calendar consists of white days. Yeah. And um 
And I think that we, as uh, black people, for since the beginning, you know, um, like I think about my think about history, history, my history classes from the time I started school. You know, whenever there there's any mention of black people, they are either slaves or Martin Luther King. Right. And and that is and that's just in this that's all in one chapter at the end. And I'm saying like it's it's like a one page. Everything uh-huh. else is you know white people. You know what I mean? So so you know that I for for her to say that like you like you're blind you know what I'm saying you're she's definitely blind people like that are blind to the fact that this country is built on um the on 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 um whiteness you know what I'm saying like it's just yeah, yeah. It's just white. And well, and I think that's at the heart of that phrase that they keep using in this book, the racialized society, that there's hierarchy yeah. to it, that there's system to it. Um, and I almost think that's good news for white people because I think white people try to stay away uh, from any involvement with race or racism because they're like, oh, that means that I'm a racist. It's like it becomes personal immediately. You know what I'm saying? And what I try to talk to my white friends about is like there's a system. Uh, I think that's what you're on about using the word ecosystem. There's a whole structure and a reality that's been created before you and I, you know, 30-year-old white person, ever existed to where the whole system of America is tilted in our advantage. And it's tilted away from the advantage of people who are not white. Um, Because if we can understand that it's a system that we're born into uh, and that we have nothing to do with or about. And honestly, a reason that I struggle with like Christians, why I don't understand why they don't understand that is because Christians believe that we're born into sin. They believe that we're born into the system of sin that I'm not personally responsible for. I had nothing to do with, but I'm born into it and it dictates uh, my circumstances. Um, So if Christians would say I'm born into sin and that determines my reality, they understand what it's like to be born into a system. And to be defined by a system and for there to be wow. a system hierarchy there. You get yeah. what I'm saying? And they're, yeah. they're like good with that all day long. But then if you talk yeah. about a system, not of sin, but about race, uh, they ain't trying to hear that. They don't want to, they don't want to, yeah. they don't want to hear that. Um, and so I don't, that honestly is a disconnect for me. That doesn't make sense. Say again. I'm glad that was recorded. I'm glad that's recorded, yo. What mm. you said was ill as hell. I'm glad that's it, recorded. But doesn't that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. So it's like, you know, Adam's sin came into my life and I was born into the system of sin and that has dictated my entire reality. Um, And so the sins of my forefathers, the sins of my white forefathers in the same way have come into my reality reality and dictated all of it. Uh, And that doesn't need to like mean all these personal things for me, you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't do that, but I'm still affected by that. And all the people around me are still affected by that. 
Um, you know, I was just thinking while you were talking, I remember I was at this store and um, do y'all have Life Church out there? Is that the one that has the app? Yeah, it's like a, it, well, it started here, but they're oh, like okay. everywhere now. Nah, we ain't got one out here. But uh, I remember walking to this this children's uh, toy store. It's a small store. Like, it's it's really expensive. Like, a doll is like 80 bucks. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But my homegirl worked there. And I remember walking in, and um, there was a, a lady walking out, and she was an older white lady. And... Um, and do you know how like you can be walking in, you can get ready to grab the door and walk in as somebody's walking out? Yeah. I get I get ready to grab the door and like she intentionally like swung it back so I couldn't so I couldn't grab it, you know what I'm saying? And walked around me. And I, I remember thinking, damn, like I'm used to people being, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, doing stuff like that and races like that. But what I wasn't what I wasn't ready for is I looked back at her, she had a life church shirt on. You know what I'm saying? And it just bugged me out. Like, Uh, you know, like, um, like how, like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, like if I wasn't a Christian, bro, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I wasn't a Christian, how, how, how would, um, I look at Christians? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that just, when I was reading, reading Debbie, I was thinking about that because, you know, you ask that woman, you could probably ask her and she'll tell I'm not prejudiced, you know what I'm right. saying? I'm yeah, yeah. racist, you know, God loves us all. We're right. all beautiful in his sight and everything that they say, you know, they she goes to a progressive church and you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. but you know, um whenever you encounter somebody black, uh, because of your but because of your your underlying um, view of you know this these people and in, yeah. in this race, you do you do things naturally um, without even realizing because that's just who you are. Yeah, for real, man. And 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 we'll start pushing to a conclusion here. I have two thoughts. One, we my wife and I were visiting uh, her sister in Virginia and we went to you know a church with them uh, this last weekend and at some point the preacher said I don't care if you black you know he's a white guy probably almost 40 years old he said I don't care if you're black I don't care if you're white I don't care if you're green and I was just like bro (laughs) nobody is green there aren't green people Uh, and even something as subtle as that like what is what does that say? Like, um, that says that the actual problems or struggles or challenges of a people group, namely black people, um, are as significant or real as the struggles and problems of green people and green people don't exist. Like it's, it's the, it's the juxtaposition of a group of people and a non-group of people trying to say like, it's all good. Don't worry about it. It's not like, it's not a thing. Uh, but that just discredits, uh, the actual experience, the actual history, the actual truth and reality of reality itself. Um, and I think small things like that, I think that dude was probably trying to say something that was good or beneficial or, 
not racist or not, you know, but like he missed the mark. And I think that's in large because he sees things through the individual lens and not the system lens. Um, one more comment here on page 74 and uh, there's, you know, plenty of other things that, that could be talked about um, throughout this chapter. So JB, if you want to find something after 74, uh, feel free to, to pull it up and we'll try to push to a conclusion here. Okay. Um, much here in the towards the bottom of 74 much research points to the race problem as rooted in intergroup conflict over resources and ways of life the institutionalization of race-based practices inequality and stratification and the defense of group position uh, and now this research goes on beyond uh, white evangelicals uh, white christians but i think that reinforces this uh, point or this idea that I've been talking about over the last few weeks that we are who we are culturally before we are anything else. So mm-hmm. the person who grows up in Oklahoma City uh, versus Cincinnati, Ohio versus London, England versus South Africa versus Bangladesh, they are going to be informed. Their worldviews, their perspectives, even their prejudices, their theology, it's going to be informed by the culture, the place, and the people that they grew up around. Um, And now obviously, like as we learn things and develop and take on new truths, uh, truth can change us and it can inform us. And we can say, okay, me for example, like I was taught that to be a man meant getting money and getting girls. And as I've learned other truth, I've learned that there's much more to being a man than getting money and and getting girls. Um, So obviously our culture, culture doesn't have the final say on who we are, on our identities, but if we don't give it its proper place, then we can never unlearn things that our culture uh, teaches us. And again, much research points to the race problem is rooted in intergroup conflict over resources and ways of life. So there's beef because we live in a finite place, right? And there's not enough resources to grow or go around. Um, and because there are different ways of life, like anybody who, who marries uh, knows that there's beef when you get married because People are different, different ways of life. Uh, And so race is very similar in that. But then in addition, uh, the history of America says that race-based practices have been institutionalized. So our government and our corporation policies, legislation work in a racialized manner. Um, And then inequality and stratification and just defending yourself comes as a result uh, of that, so I think that's a fascinating and helpful way uh, to think about the racialized society as we continue uh, into next week's reading, chapter five and chapter six. Again, and and this is maybe just for the white people who are listening. Like, I want you to push race, racism, the racialized society a little bit away from yourself. I want you to not take it so personal, uh, and I want you to realize that like there is a system that you've been born into that gives you certain benefits and advantages. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything about you. It doesn't make you guilty. It doesn't make you evil. It doesn't make you wrong. Uh, What you choose to do with that says something about you, not the fact that you were born into it. Uh, JB, any any final thoughts on the rest of chapter four? Uh, There's a lot, man, to be honest. I wish we had had to cut it 
kind of show short. Is it possible to spend like 10, 15 on it on the next one? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so you just want to wait, camp it until next week yeah. for the rest of four? Is Yeah, if we can, because yeah. there's, there's a bunch, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. We'll do that. Um, we'll wrap up for this week. Just a few uh, concluding comments. Again, we want to thank you guys uh, for joining us on Read a Book. Uh, again, I'm joined by my co-host, JB. You can find him at my name is JB. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Little. You can find me at I am Sean Little. Uh, you can rock with us at Fourth District. Uh, we'd love for, to hear from you, your comments online, on social media. Uh, so rock with us there. And then we'd love to hear your actual voice as well and be able to use those here on our podcast. Uh, so call and leave us a voicemail at 470-722-0782. JB, thank you for your time this week. Oh, thank you, my brother. And for the audience as well, thanks y'all for rocking with us. Uh, We'll look forward to chatting next week. Read a book. Peace. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.